This podcast is made possible by our sponsors, The Interchange Bench and Vital Smarts. Feeling bullied or harassed by other people but lacking the ability to confront the situation safely? Developing your crucial conversation skills will give you the tools to talk when the stakes are high. Giving you the confidence to speak up in even the toughest situation. Visit vitalsmarts.com.au. Thank you all, Miracle Mums, one and all, for coming along to episode 83 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson, and I'm with my dear friend and Miracle Mum herself, Corrie Perkins. Oh, Hello. thanks, Caro. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you for coming to my 58th birthday, because pretty much everybody I know in the world is here. Um, <laughs> And those of you who, Caro and I, don't know, we hope that you will say hello to us today or some other time through listening to the podcast. We appreciate your support so much. Uh, it's an incredible little community that we have gathered around this podcast. We love you all, and uh, may we continue to grow. And thanks, of course, to our sponsors, The Interchange Bench and their fearless leader, Anita, another miracle mum. Anita Zima is here today. And of course, also to Vital Smarts. We're going to introduce our guests in just a moment, Corrie. We're going to do this in two sections. In the first section, we're going to talk about the Miracle Mums campaign. We have two very special guests coming on stage. And then after a very, very brief break, we're going to have two of our favourite regulars. In fact, our two favourite regulars. (laughs) My mother, Julia, my own miracle mum. And yes, back by popular demand. Anna from the op shop. <laughs> Corrie, um, before we introduce Brett and Lynn on stage, we both have had children at the Royal Women's Hospital, and you, of course, had all three of your children at the Royal Women's. I did. I feel there should be a wing named after me at the Royal Women's Hospital. So my journey started at the Royal Women's Hospital when I was about 18 or 19, and I had a mild case of endometriosis. So that was a bit of fun. Um, And then I had my appendix out there as well. And then as a result of the endometriosis, I was having trouble conceiving. So I spent a bit of awkward and embarrassing time in the um, area of medical research trying to get pregnant territory, sneaking in and out of doors with various vessels. Well, I'm not going any for that. Um, And um, I had three miscarriages, including one at 18 weeks, which meant I had to go into labour. The staff at the Royal Women's Hospital were outstanding um, in that sympathetic time. And of course, then I had the three gorgeous children. So I do feel uh, very close to this cause. And with no further ado... And you had ado, your three or two there. No, I had, um, I had my first one there and then purely... Rose was born at the Royal Women's and you came and visited me there, remember? I did, I did. Champagne. Yeah, I think I was dining on oysters at the time. <laughs> um, anyway, look, with no further ado, I'm going to introduce our first two guests. Lynn Swinburne, the Royal Women's Hospital Chair, is going to join us on stage. Welcome, Lynn. And nenatologist, Dr. Brett Manley. Thank you, Brett. Now, thank you both for joining us. And you've both got wonderful stories, but this is our podcast. So first of all, we do something every month called the Monthly Challenge. Oh, yeah. We've, I've, made, <laughs> I've made quince tarts, Corrie's walked 10,000 steps. We've done all manner of things. I've been on a big hike and been evacuated. Um, but the May challenge is upon us. Brett, I'll start with you. Can you set yourself a challenge for May? Have you got any challenges you'd like to tell us about? Oh, thanks, Caro. Um, well, <laughs> I think what's really fresh in my mind, and I'm not sure who's with me here, but for those of you who watched Game of Thrones last night, um, <laughs> you'll be feeling quite emotional this morning. And I think Why were you watching uh, Footy Classified, Brett? Oh, oh. <laughs> it's all right. I it's waited until after me. Footy Classified. Um, <laughs> And uh, I think it'll be weaning myself off Game of Thrones. It's been an emotional eight or nine year journey, so that'll be the challenge for me. Yeah. Very impressive. What about you, Linny? Yeah, well, my life is full of challenges, and I have to say today, I've got a really bad back, and I thought it was lifting the grandkids up and down off the swings at the park. But Sue's reminded me about all those babies being born. And I'm just realising that I've been catching all those babies. So one an hour, no wonder I've got a bad back. (laughs) Makes sense. Oh, look, as for challenges, 
you know, one of the things I do not give enough time to is my house. I've often heard on, as a potty, I've heard you guys with your challenges and I've thought, what would my challenge be? I think for the month of May, every week, I'm going to clean out a cupboard. That's a really good challenge. Like, seriously clean it out. You know, the game's covered with all those puzzle bits missing and, you know, all that. Just get rid of it. Hey, Lynn, can you come and do my pantry? I have a weevil issue. (laughs) And Anna from the Op Shop will be awaiting your donations. Happily sifted through donations and Marie Kondo would be proud of you. What's your May challenge, Corrie? My May May challenge is, I've had to write this down because this is official title, to do the Kokoda Trek Memorial Walk, the 1,000 steps at Dandenong Ranges. Three kilometres, 1.5 hour return. Uh, The grade is steep, so reasonable level of fitness required. Um, The track is gravel slash dirt. And, Caro, you're coming with me. (laughs) Okay, well, that'll be your May challenge, and I'll see what I'm doing that day before I agree to that. Well, we're going on a walk later this year, so we need to up our fitness because we've been a bit slack. Um, What's yours? I think I'm going to um, turn my task to motherhood. I've been inspired by what we've heard this morning already. I'm going to be a miracle mum to each of my three children. And I think what I'm going to do... I'm going to do one major significant outing with them in May. Together or individually? Individually. Oh, no, shocking together. They just take over. (laughs) No, 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 just one-on-one. So so that'll be my challenge. And I'll be telling you all about it as the month of May moves on. Okay. Brett, um, thank you so much for coming. We've talked about how many babies are born at the Royal Women's every year. And we know that every mother deserves to bring home a healthy baby. Could you just tell a little bit about your, tell us a little bit about your experiences? Sure, Cara. Well, neonatology is is uh, is looking after newborn babies, as it sounds like. And we look after families from before their babies are born on many occasions when we have the opportunities to prepare parents for having a sick or preterm baby right through uh, the early hours and days of their life, right through to their uh, discharge from hospital, which can be a very long journey, as we've heard earlier. There are many pre term babies born in Australia and around the world and it's a bit of an epidemic really there's anywhere you go in the world about 9 or 10% of all pregnancies uh, babies are born preterm and we look after the the sickest and the most premature babies in our intensive care unit so we heard we have about 9,000 deliveries a year about 10% of them are preterm and we we work in a very large 62 bed intensive care unit one of four neonatal units in Melbourne and Melbourne is incredibly privileged to have these four amazing units we look after as I said the most preterm so we have about two or three hundred very preterm infants every year in our unit so they're babies born before 32 weeks and some of them are born extremely preterm so as as early as 23 or 24 weeks long in the pregnancy so that's four months early so it's uh, it's really an, an amazing thing to look after these babies and these families and to see more and more of them surviving. Brett, um, a few years ago when I was working at The Age, I had the honour of doing a feature story on the neonatal ward at the Royal Women's, so I spent a couple of days there, and uh, many overwhelming and memorable things are going through my head right now, but I do remember when you say your staff care, I think we have to look at the word care. In many cases, they do not leave those babies' cribs, and I was astounded by the extraordinary expertise, but just the, the love in the room and the willingness to get these babies over the line. It went beyond anything that was sort of a professional relationship. Thanks, Corey. I think you can't do this job without care. And we're very proud of the way we care for not only the baby in front of us, but the family and the extended family even. And things don't always have a happy ending. We need to remember that. And uh, our our nursing staff, of whom there are hundreds, it takes hundreds and hundreds of staff to run a 24-hour intensive care unit like ours. It's really amazing watching the way they relate to mothers and fathers and to the babies. They're often there for weeks or months and sometimes more than a year Um, receiving this amazing care and we develop very close relationships with our families. So Lynn, you've had a lot of high profile positions and a lot of major roles in your private as well as public life. What, why on earth would you take on, this is a a, a very challenging job Mm. I'm sure being chair of the Royal Women's, what Mm. made you take it on? Well I'm a bit like Sue, I, I just feel so good about the good work that we do. Um, It is challenging 
I mean, part of it is that there's never enough money. That's correct. But the other part is the staff are so committed, you know, and we've, we've unlike, um, you know, probably all the hospitals say that they focus on their patients, and I'm sure they try, as we do, and I'm sure we haven't always got it right. But we, we really... Um, think about women and their whole needs so not just that they don't come into the hospital you know with gynecological cancer with a baby what would they come in as a woman who has that condition and me more than anyone knows how important that is Um, so when I got into the breast cancer stuff that was my main problem that I was treated like I was a tumor on legs you know it didn't matter no one sort of asked about my husband or my family or how I felt or was I coping and I actually wasn't coping and I, so that was my focus. And so it's a thrill for me to be a part of an organisation that really gets that, that respects women, that understand, and, and with the history that it has, um, you know, to be a part of that is really an absolute privilege, and I mean that. Well, well we're incredibly privileged also to have Jane Alsop here in the audience. Hi, Jane. A miracle mum. You probably recognise her from one of her many television roles, probably the most high profile with Blue Healers. I mean, I'll always remember your performances, Nolene Brown, in oh, the Graham Kennedy you. story. <laughs> you were absolutely wonderful in it. Now, tell us about what happened to you. I saw you talking to Brett at the coffee machine yeah, earlier. Purely and simply, my girls wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the women's. Um, I was diagnosed, or the girls were diagnosed with twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome in utero, which is a fatal condition. Um, And the only sort of uh, thing that they're able to do is this life-saving laser surgery. And the women's and several other hospitals were the first... Ten years ago, were the you know pioneers of bringing that surgery to Australia, and so they did in utero surgery at I think I was eighteen weeks pregnant. How how pregnant were you when you found out you were facing this? Uh, about fifteen or sixteen weeks, and yeah, so it wasn't looking good. There's about a sixty percent chance, I think, sixty uh, of losing one or both of your twins at that point, something like that. So it's not <laughs> wasn't fun. Um, and then, of course, a few weeks later, I ruptured membranes. So I went into the hospital bleeding at 20 weeks uh, and was given the grim news that this was probably not going to end well. So I stayed in hospital for 10 weeks. I managed. It's a miracle that I kept them in for t- 10 weeks, actually, because it was likely that I wouldn't. Were they, and they, were they growing okay, Jane? Uh, no, they had very little... I was continuing to... They, the membranes around them were ruptured, so I was continuing to leak amniotic fluid and blood, and so they didn't have enough fluid around them for um, their lungs and stuff like that to develop properly. And then they were born uh, 10 weeks premature. So when they arrived, they were very, very unwell. Uh, one of my daughters has a heart condition as well, which is partly caused from that twin-to-twin she had. Um, and, yeah, we had about four and a half months, I think it was, in NICU. And, yeah, so many ups and downs, obviously, in there. But the research that has been done by the women's and the amazing care in there and the medical knowledge is literally the reason they're here how was talk about um being in hospital for 10 weeks someone like you who is obviously a very busy person (laughs) who probably i mean it would have been very difficult it was very challenging i've got two older children as well so they were coming into the hospital going mum can't you just forget about this and come home and i'm going well not really (laughs) um it was very difficult on my husband who of course had to then deal with having kids at home and uh, not having me there to do other things. Um, and, yeah, very difficult on me as well. Mentally, you know, thinking what are we working towards here? Am I working towards not bringing two children home? How am I going to cope with that? Um, and it was quite difficult to eat the food, I have to say. <laughs> I was, didn't have a fun time with the food. I, so, uh, But, 
Yeah, look, it was it was a challenge, definitely, and um, something that until you're put in those circumstances, I suppose you don't. I mean, a lot of people sort of said, "Oh, you're so strong," and uh, but there's literally no choice when you're in that situation. If you could put your hand up and say, "Look, actually, I'd probably prefer not to do this." Um, you would, but there isn't that option. There isn't that out. And how fast forward to today? Where are, where is everything oh, now? Oh, my girls are gorgeous. They're, they're um, two and a half years old. Um, absolutely names. Uh, Skylar and Willow. So we've had uh, Skylar has got a few more. She's got another heart surgery to go, and um, possibly another eye surgery. Uh, but they are both doing so well, and they are just little rainbows really you remember that day jane when it turned the corner when you knew it was going to be okay um i think with uh yeah i think i sort of had moments of thinking it was going to be okay and then going oh god it's not going to be okay uh we had a really we nearly lost skylar after heart surgery and she um uh collapsed lungs and lots of horrible stuff um and that was probably the bottom of the bottom. And we'd waited a long time for her surgery, for her to grow large enough to have that surgery. And I thought that was our final hurdle. And then for it to all go downhill afterwards was such a so difficult. But then um, I remember when she finally, you know, she was on antibiotics. She had a staph infection in her lungs and all that stuff. And she finally, one day, you know, after we'd been really at the bottom of the bottom, um, she smiled when she heard Dave and I talk. And I was like, I think she's going to be all right. Okay, yeah. so I'm crying now. Um, <laughs> Corrie has a granddaughter called Willow, so she's very happy with the name. And, she, and Willow was premature, so I, I um, not yep. to this extent. But I, it, it's a it's a it's a tense and difficult time for all the women in the room who, have, or whether yep. your daughters have or you've had a premature baby. There's nothing mm. quite like it. Brett, um, just picking up on Jane's experience, um, I can remember not only in my observation that time of being in the NICU ward, but also with the various ailments over the years that I had at the women's, um, they, they would ask you, can um, resident doctors or can students come in and be a part of this? And it reminds us of the importance of the women's as a teaching hospital, which is where, of course, your great experience with the research and, and breaking frontiers uh, occurs, really. We have to remember Absolutely. that the women's is a teaching hospital. Yeah, and, and thanks, Jane, for that for that description. Mm. I mean, you could really hear in Jane's voice that the roller coaster ride that parents go mm. through in our intensive care unit, we often describe it like that. It's the highs and the lows and the lows you don't expect after the highs and the highs you don't expect after the lows. Um, and that's we really spend a lot of time trying to get families through those highs and lows. Um, so research uh, in the neonatal sphere is absolutely critical. Neonatology is a relatively young medical specialty. It's only been around for 50 or 60 years, and we need to remember, amazingly, None of these very preterm babies were surviving only 30 or 40 years ago, and that's not very long ago. There's been huge advances over the last 50 years all around the world, and I'm you know, honoured to be part of the women's, which is absolutely at the forefront of neonatal research all around the world. In fact, there's a conference going on in America right now, and I'm one of my only colleagues that are still here. They're all over there presenting our research uh, we know in the States. We know we'd clearly. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. I lucked out. Um, so, so research is really important. We've heard it's also very difficult to do. And in our particular little, little area of research, it's more so because we're dealing with, in some cases, extremely preterm babies. There are only 1,100 born in all of Australia and New Zealand each year. So if you try and do big research trials looking uh, how to improve the outcomes from these babies, it takes a huge team effort and, unfortunately, millions and millions of dollars to do the big trials that really change practice. So that's a real challenge for us. Jane, thank you so much for joining us today. And all the best for your twins. Now we're going, we, wish, we, we wish Skylar all the best for the next oh, lot of operations. Thank you. And look, I just, yeah, I really do hope people give generously. It is such an amazing cause. And, and just on a final note, I'd like to say that having spent a long time at the women's and in that NICU, the amazing teamwork between all the staff I found so amazingly impressive and I did spend time at some other hospitals as well to, as a sort of comparison and I was particularly fond of yeah just that very personal touch and the fact that there was a lot of communication between all of the doctors uh, and so things didn't get missed and things were, I felt very well cared for and the girls were obviously very well cared for. 
as well. Are you doing any work, acting work at the moment? Not right at this second. No, but <laughs> well, no obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, always plugging away with various things, but... Well, yeah. all, the, all the best. Um, thank all you. All the best for a wonderful career as well. Yeah, yeah. Thank, busy with both motherhood and, with, and <laughs> a mixture. Thank you. Now, we're going to lighten the load a bit now, Corrie, because we have a regular segment on the podcast every week. We'll be doing it twice over we today. Are. So we've got 12 quick questions, but our six today. Linny, we're going to start with you. Um, I'd love to ask you a golf tip, but um, oh. no, let's... <laughs> well, that, let that, me tell you, will be the last one to <laughs> give um, you a tip. But you and I have Although I do have a fabulous photo of me meeting Tiger Woods last year, at the end of last year, and I'm reaching out my hand like this, and it seriously, it looks like I'm giving him a tip on his grip, improving his grip. <laughs> so I've been sending it round saying, well, clearly that worked. <laughs> I um, wasn't flinging any clubs at the time. No. Linny, if you could ask the next federal government to do just one thing in relation to women's health, what would it be? I think I would like them to understand that women's health is different from men's health. The research that we undertake, the way that we approach women's health is fundamentally different. We're understanding that more and more with things like heart attack and so on, where actually the symptoms are different, the treatment needs to be different. And I think that it's about time they really made a focus on women's health as opposed to general health. That would be my, my issue. Good call. I've, I feel like this is quite shallow <laughs> from what we've just talked about, but Brett... I know you're a football fan, and I think um, I think your Bulldogs meet my Tigers this weekend. We do. I'll see you there, Caro. <laughs> yes. Well, may the best team win, and may that be <laughs> Richmond. No, but, but quite seriously, though, the, the big talking point, one of the big talking points over the Anzac round and previously was booing. Is booing at the football appropriate, and when is it not appropriate? Ah, well, tricky. Um... Well, I'm a bit old school on this, Caro, and I've been known to boo. I mean, when I was standing on the wing at uh, was then Etihad Stadium and Toby Green karate kicked Luke Dalhouse in the fake face, supposedly trying to take a mark, I booed. And uh, all my friends booed and we continued to boo that day and every other time we saw Toby Green. And we, <laughs> we will continue to do so for the rest of his career. Um, you and no, my you... husband have a lot in common, a complete <laughs> loathing of Toby Green. You need to let go, Brett. <laughs> no, no. No, no, I, I, re- I don't need to let go. And uh, look, I, I, so I think booing can be appropriate. And look, booing can be fun. Honestly, I, I go to the football to not only support my team, but to have fun. And, and sometimes it, it's, it's that Aussie larrikin humour. I think where we, get, where we get a little bit tied up is when there's something else more sinister behind it. And the booing of Adam Goods I found very uncomfortable. I'm still deciding about Gary Ablett. Um, yep, I'm well, with uh, you about that. I oh, think we'll sort of see on. what happens if it... Uh. Well, he shouldn't have liked the Israel Folau post. He should have read it before he liked it. Sorry, is that what you're thinking? That's what I'm thinking. So, I, But we still have no evidence that that's why he was being booed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I reckon it was. That's a wait and see on, on Gary, I think. Yeah. Um, OK, Lynn... Do you watch Call the Midwife? I know you do because we've talked about it. Um, and who is your favourite character? Oh, so my favourite character is um, Sheila Turner. Well, you all clearly watch it because you're all nodding your heads. It's Not. Sister. She was the one that was the nun. Married the doctor. And married the doctor. You know, she's that little mousy sort of, you know, with the cute little voice. not so mousy as it turned out. But not so mousy. And that's what I like about her, that she's she's got this little inner strength. She doesn't come across as tough and rugged, but in her own quiet way, she achieves. But I also want to say those midwives on that program look after the most vulnerable people. I mean, the way they... They bring the themes in through those fabulous stories. It's brilliant. But also I want to remind people that our midwives are extraordinary as well and they look after the most vulnerable. Sue talked about, you know, homeless girls having babies or very young girls and having a midwife they can trust is such an important relationship. Like it's almost a relationship you wouldn't have with anyone else in the world except maybe your obstetrician. But it's very, it's a very strong relationship and I'm reminded of when I was having one of my children I had it at the I had him I think it was 
Um, <laughs> not it. No, not it. Um, at whatever that hospital was, you know, that was then became Peter McCallum, St Andrews. St Andrews. St. Andrews. That's where I was born. Oh, were you? Lovely. And, and I think Anna was born there too. Girls, oh, sorry, this is six Anna quick questions. Sorry. Okay. And there was a great big window and we, you could see the lights of the MCG. And the midwife said, oh, I was born on a night like this and the wind was howling and bashing against the, the window. The rain came and so on. And she said, I was born on a night just like this. And that's how I got my name. I said, oh, and what's your name? And she said, Gail. <laughs> That is very fun. Yeah. Worth waiting for, Lynn. Yeah. Now, Brett, when, when you're not working incredibly hard at the Royal Women's or booing at the football or watching Game of Thrones, do you have a favourite medical show or Doctor character? Uh, I hadn't had much time to think about this. How about Doctor Nick Riviere off The Simpsons? He was always good value. Or, or uh, I quite like Hawkeye off Mash as well, an yeah. old classic. Um, what about McDreamy on? Well, I was giving, oh, no, I, not a oh, oh, is that Grey's Anatomy? Is it? No, I never yeah. watched that. But I, but I, I did like a bit of George Clooney, and he was a paediatrician. Remember on ER, so we'll, yeah. we'll give him the vote. Yeah, <laughs> gave him his start. Brett, I have a question for you. I just want to know what happened to your bulldogs after the 2016 Grand Final. I think there's two parts to this answer. The first part is who cares? Because that year, <laughs> you need to understand, and Caro had this in 2017, but you've got to understand how amazing that year was for Bulldog supporters. And that month, it was magical. Everything happened for a reason. It felt like watching those games that every single play was there for a reason and I went up to Sydney for the preliminary final against GWS which was just one of the most amazing games um, I've ever seen maybe ever um, so part of me says it doesn't matter because we got there and as a second generation long-suffering Bulldog supporter my dad never saw a grand final and and for us to both experience that it was it was amazing um, the second part of it is I, I think related to the first it was magical and everything happened for a reason and I think when just uh, in, when anything changes among a team where everything had to go right for them to win, it has a big effect. We've lost important players, we've lost key position players, we've lost some of my favourite players, um, and so I think they've all had a knock-on effect. Yeah. You've still got your very good-looking coach, Anna. He's yours and my squeeze, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's playing around a bit much with selections at the moment, just mm-hmm. saying, but... Anyway. <laughs> No, you, you could be right. I mean, I, I think he's trying to find the, the winning formula, which we haven't been able to sort of uh, get back to. Yeah. And, Lynn, can you leave us with a GLT, which stands for Good Local Tip? I'm sure most of you know that. Yeah, so I understand there are some women here from Hamilton. Yay, yeah, there are. Slow. We've got Where a are they? There they are. From the Western okay, great. Mother so of the Bride. This Jen? is especially for you, so long as you're here for a couple of days. But the others can listen because it's worth it. I went to see Muriel's wedding. Oh, so much fun and so great. So I'd be getting down to, I think it's Her Majesty's, that one in Russell Street, whatever. Anyhow, go and see Muriel's wedding. You'll come out with a spring in your step and you'll be singing songs for days. So much fun. Wonderful, wonderful film, and I, I hear yeah. it's a great, great musical as well. Brett Manley, thank you so much for joining us today on Don't Shoot the Messenger. We've been privileged to have you here. Thank you, Jane, Jane Alsop, for telling us your story. And thank you to Lynn Swinburne for coming on again in yet another of your brilliant roles. <laughs> Round thank of you, everyone. And with absolutely no further ado, it's time to launch the second part of the show. I would like to introduce up on stage my mother, Julia Wilson, who's got a recipe and a couple of other things to discuss. Mum, thanks for coming on stage. Up you come. And as I said, back by popular demand, and thanks for coming in this morning, Anna. Anna Barry, a.k.a. Anna from the Op Shop. I'll just squeeze them. Here you go, Girls, Mum. can you see now? Sorry, I, could, I knew you couldn't see. <laughs> okay, now, as you know, the Interchange Bench, our wonderful sponsor, 
sponsors the segment which is known as Crush of the Week. Corey and I always argue about Crush of the Week. She says I'm always choosing footballers and um, people I'm trying to suck up to, which is absolutely not true. She tends to find her crushes in the world of American politics. So today... And I want to mention again the interchange bench. For players, please take your work team to the top of the game and head to the interchange bench to fill any professional role in any industry and sector, both short and long term. See the, see the interchangebench.com.au. And or Candace, Candace is here. Where are you, Candace? She is. Call 1-800-I-BENCH. Now, Another Anna, potty. Thanks for coming on board. You have a crush. Can you take us through it, please? I do. Hello, everyone. <laughs> My crush of the week, because we're a bit medical, I've gone with a woman called Rochelle Courtney, who has founded the Share the Dignity charity, which is an Australian women's charity which provides sanitary products to homeless and disadvantaged women and girls. And as well, they aim to give dignity back to women in need. So she was a personal trainer in 2015, saw a need in the market for homeless women who obviously didn't have enough money to buy sanitary products or no place to call home. So she started collecting products from her personal training clients and it's led from there. Now it's a national charity with 3,000 volunteers. She's recently started sending sanitary products, tampons, pads, whatever, to drought-affected areas for rural women and she's looking to go to indigenous communities and this year she's also rolled out free sanitary item vending machines in poverty stricken areas around Australia so that it's called the pink box they're big pink boxes and you can just get what you need so and she was the Finn Review um, one of the women of influence in 2018 so I thought appropriately our crush of the week yes Thank you again to the Interchange Bench for helping us to promote today. Now, Mum, you're grumpy. And I want you to tell us why you're grumpy today. Oh, no, it was to do with Anzac Day. And I'm only copying Tony Shaw and a few other (laughs) old stodgers about my age, Um, nearly. All these many, many Anzac Day um, remembrances on the football field that went on for five days. It was simply too long. I know people say we had the best one, the first one, on the evening, so why should I be not excluding that? But I think one nighttime one, just before the dawn service, and one daytime one is all we can feel emotionally attached to. If I heard the last post one more time by <laughs> Sunday lunch, it was just a bit late. Yeah, in fact, Lee Matthews, who was at the, the Q Clash, the Queensland game on Saturday, said exactly the same thing to me and a couple oh. of the Brisbane and Gold Coast officials. Why are we even having this on Saturday? Yes, yes. Anzac Day was two days ago. Yes. Everyone wants to have a turn, I suppose. Mum, that's a very appropriate grumpy. And now we're <clears> going to move on to another regular segment... BSF, that stands for Books, Screen and Food, and that, of course, is brought to us by Vital Smarts. And that is going to help you again with your organisational skills, but this time if you're suffering from unsupportive, lazy or poor performers. It's going to give your staff the skills to speak up. Now, we're going to start with Anna because she has a book, and I might put my bib in too here, Anna, but you can start. I'm starting. Now, (laughs) my book's called Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And it's, I don't know if you know it. It's a New York Times bestseller, and I think Reese Witherspoon's got hold of it and made it into a miniseries. What hasn't she got hold of? I know. I've got her bib in everywhere. I know. Anyway, it's coming to something called Amazon Video, which I don't know what that is, but I've only got Netflix. But anyway, (laughs) it's a New York Times bestseller, and it's a great story told in the form of extended oral history by all parties about the rise to stardom of a rock and roll band in the 70s in LA. So think Stevie Nicks' Fleetwood Mac. You know, in its absolute heyday, think Anthem Rock, the affairs, the drugs, the spats, the creative chaos and the musical alchemy. It's fabulous. It focuses on 
The story focuses on Daisy Jones, who's beautiful, wild, perfectly flawed, and her relationship with the band leader and singer-songwriter Billy Dunn, and why the band splits up at the absolute height of their fame and popularity. So the book actually works because the author's got the great ability to write realistic characters and really good dialogue. And so it draws you into the sort of insane inner work of a rock and roll band, which, I don't know, not my world, so I was completely interested. <laughs> I really enjoyed It's Fun and It's Completely Our Era. Name again, so, Anna? It's called Daisy Jones and the Six. So she's the Stevie Nicks and the Six was the band. And um, it is going really well in the bookshop. We keep buying little pockets of it. It's had very little airplay, pardon the pun, uh, (laughs) except on Instagram. So I don't know whether anybody here is into following book. There's a couple of really good ones, Bookstagram, Books on Insta. Um, As you said, Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine Book Club. They're really good tips if you want to know what the world of, um, you know, sensible people like us are reading. And uh, Daisy Jones is just right up there all the time. I have to give it a read. I've just finished a book you lent me, Anna, a few weeks ago, which has actually got a rather sinister and hideous mother figure in it. It's called um, I Eleanor... I didn't want to give it away when you said about the mother. No, I know. Mm. Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Oh, and it, in fact, Reese Witherspoon has also bought the option. Is also option to the right She's having that. a major crack, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> um, Jane, I, I feel a role for you somewhere here. Although probably not the role of Eleanor because no. you're far too glamorous. But it is... Um, it's just the most wonderful book about loneliness and the most wonderful book about relationships and mental health. And I started reading it and I thought, oh, Anna, what have you put me onto? This is so depressing. I but knew you'd think that. That's why I said you've got to keep going. Yep. Oh, and it, and it just, it, it's uplifting and wonderful <laughs> and it makes you laugh, it makes you cry. And you're so happy by the end. But it's by Gail Honeyman. And then the other one with a, with a creepy mother thing is The Erratics, which is yes, just recently won the Stella Prize for fiction. And um, I want to read that. Uh, yeah, I'll, cool. I think we'll be reviewing that in the next couple of weeks on the podcast. But if you do see The Erratics in your bookstore, because there's a lot of to do, because it won the Stella Prize last week, it is absolutely mind-blowingly brilliant. Um, if you have parents who you are about to put in care... Uh, Tread easily with this one. Don't give it to your mum or dad to read. I'll tell you that. Right. Oh. Um, okay, screen. Now, Anna's, Anna's actually seen a film and she's got a tip, but I thought we'd kick off with um, our favourite films or our favourite mother figures in films. Mum, do you want to kick off? Oh, yes, mine is easily the Italian mother played by Olympia Dukakis in uh, Moonstruck. Oh, she's absolutely brilliant. She goes, when she goes to the restaurant by herself and picks up the um, younger professor and <laughs> then thinks, oh, no, it's all a bit boring. I want to go home to bed. <laughs> and oh, I just think it's the most enchanting film. Well, I'm going to go with um, Spring Byington. I'm going back to 1933, the original Marmy from Little Women, who is just one of the great characters of all time. Um, many have played Mami, and um, I think they've made a new version of this film, which is coming out this year, in fact. But, um, the, it's, been uh, out, it's been out on, uh, and it's on, um, I think, Netflix, actually, with oh. Emily, what's her name, playing the mother? Emily, not what, I was going to say Watson. Without Catherine oh. Hepburn, they shouldn't bother. Em- no, <laughs> em- Emily Watson, in fact, plays um, Meg. But the other one, and more recently, is Susan Sarandon, who played it in the Winona Ryder version of Little Women. And she was brilliant in that, as she was as the mother in Stepmom, which I cannot yeah, watch. That was great. Without sobbing. She oh, was a very good mother in that. Don't, don't, don't mention Stepmom in my family. Oh. Um, um, because they all said, oh, Mum, that's you. You're the Susan Sarandon character. And then she died. And I'll never forget Coco bursting into tears going, we don't want you to die. It's a movie. Oh, it's okay. Remember it's the quilt movie. with all the photos right. on it? Oh, in terms of endearment, Daggy film, although I did like Jack Nicholson in it, but Shirley MacLaine pay, plays Deborah Winger's mother. Of course, yet again, another person dying in that. But Shirley MacLaine was pretty terrific. But there She's is a only... dreadful mother. <laughs> there is... The grandchildren oh, no, call her by... They call her Mrs. She didn't something. want to be there, but she found her heart in the end. I mean, how can I possibly go past and officially for the first half of the film, which went for about as long as this podcast, and then the second half, you had interval in those days, 
Julie Andrews in A Sound of Music. Oh. So she starts, <laughs> off as, she starts off as the non-mum. Mum's rolling her eyes. <laughs> Mum wouldn't let us watch The Sound of Music. Then, she loathed then, it so much. And then, and then she, she and Gregor arrive back from their... Christopher Plummer arrive back from their honeymoon, not quite sure where they went, but she's looking a little sexier than she was in the Dirndl dress. Oh, I wouldn't go and that far. Not much, but a little bit. Not, not a patch on the Baroness. But um, then, then she arrives back and she is the total mother. She gets them through the Nazis um, storming the convent uh, over the hills and far away. And then the Von Trapps became who they became. So I would have to say Julie Andrews in Sound of Music. What about you, Anna? Look, so many. I... <laughs> Um, I thought, remember Grey Gardens? Mm. You know, it's a bit creepy. Oh, oh, yes. No, I'm just saying, it's what not my... To the no, She's a psychopath. It's, I'm just saying it was a true story, great black and white documentary, it look is. it up, it's really good. Drew Barrymore played in the film. However, I, I was thinking Grey Gardens, I was thinking, remember Caro, Imitation of Life. Oh, oh yes. my God. An early, an early Racism, it, yeah. it's just about mothers and daughters. Lana it's, Turner? Lana Turner. I, I'm not choosing that, but I'm just saying that was good. Juno, absolutely love the mother-daughter. But I, I'm just bringing up my old perennial favourite, Love Actually. Oh, Emma yes. Thompson, I'm sorry, when oh, she goes yes. into the bedroom, <laughs> oh, smooths out the doona yeah, to both sides, yeah, both sides now. Both sides now. And she, the best thing is the line that she delivers to him in the school hall when they're walking, I know, you know. I, I know. just made a mockery of my life. I, I know. just love that. It's just so sad. And then she gets it together, puts the game day face on and goes back out to see the children playing lobsters in the nativity <laughs> play. So that's my mother, right? On film moment. The thing about, yeah, there are some very good selections there. The thing about mothers in, you know, we, we all grow up, or I grew up in the 60s watching, you know, TV sitcoms, and the mothers became, were very shadowy figures earlier mm. on, you know, like Mrs. in the Patty Duke show. Yeah, you mm. could barely remember the mother. Yeah. But, you know, by the time the Partridge family came along, you know, Shirley Jones was a single mother and mm-hmm. played in the band. And, um, and having an affair with David Cassidy. <laughs> They I were off, yeah, off screen. Didn't you know that? Oh, I'm, I don't. Where think have that's you been? Oh. <laughs> I thought she was his stepmother. Anyway, I, I'm confused. Bit but, but, and then, then you get to the Brady Bunch, where you know Carol and Mike actually had their own sort of life, and they used to be filmed in bed together, which mm. was never allowed e- even in the '60s. And they had their own sort of lives. So the mothers have come a long way. In TV. Um, Anna, before we leave film, you saw a film on Saturday that you'd like to tell us about? It's called The Chaperone, and it's fabulous. Great film to take your mother or your daughter to, depending. Um, And it's an American film with Elizabeth McGovern in the main role. And I think it's been her baby. You know, she's a mother from um, Downton Abbey. So anyway, she got Julian Fellows involved. He's written the film script. And it's a book by someone called Lara Moriarty, but I don't think she's part of our... Not Leanne Moriarty. Not Leanne, no, Lara. But I think she's a different Moriarty. Anyway, it's fabulous, and it looks at the... Well, it's sort of two parallel stories. One is of Louise Brooks, the dancer and silent film screen star, and the other is the Elizabeth McGovern story, and they both go from... Kansas to New York searching for two things which I won't be telling you about because you've got to go and see it. It's fabulous. It's really, really well done. The chaperone. The chaperone. And now F is for food. And Mum, I did promise you were going to give the Good Friday crab pasta recipe that you cooked for me, which was absolutely beautiful. But you've been to the archives. I always go to the archives, (laughs) darling. It's a a recipe from a book we all loved in the 50s. All of us growing up all had this book. With apologies to my friend um, Ro here, it's the archetype Sydney book. You just know it wasn't put together by anyone in Melbourne. Why you, well, that's a compliment. Oh, it, oh it is a compliment. And <laughs> no pictures called? of food. It's called Oh for a French Wife. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure lots of people have still got it in the very thin and doesn't take up too much room. It's beef stroganoff. You buy two and a half pounds of fillet of beef to trim all the fat off, and then you've got mustard with two pounds, and I reckon scotch fillet's fine. You pound it out and cut it into strips, 
with a wooden mallet, then cut into fingers, yes, melt half a pound of butter in a... (laughs) It's healthy, if nothing else. (laughs) Yes, sorry, I don't convert. Oh, no, we're laughing about half a pound of butter. That's quite a lot. I'm not sure Dr. Brett would approve. Half to a third. (laughs) Add a good dessert spoonful of chopped onion, stir over lower flame, soft and yellow for the onion. Add the beef, bring up the heat, cook quickly for two minutes on each side, keeping pieces on the move. (laughs) Season with salt and pepper, remove steak to warm casserole, set aside, add half a pound of peeled mushrooms, minus stalks, to the remaining butter, sauté with lid on the pan, return beef to pan, and then when everything's hot again, Slowly stir in half a pint of cream. <laughs> so, which is all the better kick. if it's on the turn. <laughs> you can't use terms like that anymore. Donna but Hay. it's really tasty. <laughs> Corrie, your first ever dinner party you had me to when we first became friends in the, what must have been, was it I the was late? 18. It must have been the late 70s. You cooked beef stroganoff with your signature mm, dish. It was my signature. It was my mother's signature dish. Well, but she had the book. Imagine a book now, O for a French wife. Oh, yeah, but imagine <laughs> we, something on the turn. I love it. Um, Michelle Milton Scones. This is part of the High Tea Society, which, of course, is part of the Miracle Mums campaign. Here's a quick recipe for scones. We'll put this in the show notes. Um, I'm, I hope the Hamilton girls have got something to do, and also the Ballarat and the Tarang and everybody else here from the country. Hello. You're going to just massacre this, I know, but this is how we do it in the city. 235 grams of self-raising flour, 235 grams of plain flour, 185 grams of butter, 100 grams of full cream milk powder, 17 grams of baking powder, interesting and 200, 230 mils of full cream milk and one egg so I'm gathering you zhuzh it all up and you do the usual things you do with scones don't forget to put your little um, butter on the top before they go in uh, so thank you very much Michelle Milton for that one and Caro now we have six quick questions can mum can mum just interject for one minute she wants to say something about I've the royal just women's hospital listening to Lynn talk and Kate talk i've remembered the most wonderful story told at a funeral of a great royal women's surgeon doctor baby doctor um, his friend stood up and said one day he was uh, examining a woman and she was getting a bit sick of it because every time he came in she'd been there for a while a team of young people came in two trainee doctors and eventually she broke out, Dr Hill, who are all these people? And he said, my dear, I'm not sure, but I think they work on the DeGrave Street subway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Over to you, Caro. Oh, six quick questions (laughs) once again. Mum, you can kick it off again. What do you most love about Mother's Day? Um, (laughs) We didn't have it in my day. (laughs) It wasn't a big thing, was it? Oh, no, I'm very thankful. I'd never had to go through all the stories we heard from Jane. I've been extremely lucky, except with Caro, who wouldn't come. (laughs) Always um, late with a deadline. She hung around and hung around... Injections hit on the head. I mean, they were going to take a baseball bat to me if I didn't finally have something, and then she finally came out. But I've been dead lucky apart from that. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry to put you through. Um, no, I was very lucky. Anna, what's your feeling about in game interviews? So, for those who don't know the terminology, that's when the game's on and somebody from Foxtel or Channel 7 or Channel 9 runs up with the microphone to the player who's about to take his position. I just think they're completely embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the player always looks like they prefer to be anywhere else but here. No, terrible. Don't bother. Waste of time. And, uh, Corrie, um, back to... Well, we, it wouldn't be a don't shoot the messenger if we mm. didn't touch on American politics. Thank you. You've been riveted by... Well, very interested by Joe Biden's video to announce his candidacy for the US presidential election. Was it a good or bad move? 
Good move. So there was a bit of a chat about this last week because Joe Biden finally announced he, that he was throwing his hat in the ring along with 19 other Democrats for the presidency in 2020 and he launched it with references in his video, including video footage of Charlottesville, that most terrible incident a couple of years ago where white supremacists and Nazi, neo-Nazis met up with local people who felt that um, this was entirely inappropriate behaviour uh, fights ensued and um, a, a woman was killed. Uh, Donald Trump at the time came out saying there were good people on both sides. Joe Biden referred to this in his video and to me it was a game changer because all of the other Democrat candidates have been talking about policies, which is great, but actually this election really for America has to be do you want to continue with this man as our president or do you want to change the game? So for someone like Joe Biden, who will be 78 on the day if he is elected on the day of the inauguration, so he's not a spring chicken, for him to come out and actually make this really... Trump, I'm taking you on moment, I think was pretty significant. So yes, Carol, I think it was a good move. Um, my question to you, the other night you attended a, an opera with <laughs> Anna on William Buckley, on the life of William Buckley. Yes. What is the one amazing fact that you have learned about this Australian convict <laughs> slash wilderness man? And why the hell did you both go? But anyway, that's okay. Um, well, Can you sing your response, Caro, please? Anna, um, Anna likes me to try new things, and she said we should go to the Rosebud Community Hall last Friday and night. And support the local opera society. There were a few problems with the production. <laughs> <laughs> One is that William Buckley looked like Basha Hawley. I mean, I love Basha Hawley. <laughs> Brendan, my husband, kept whispering, why is Basha Hawley playing William Buckley? <laughs> I mean, William Buckley was famously oh. very tall, and yet um, this bloke was neither tall. Anyway, he did lack some presence. They tried their hardest. The most interesting fact about William Buckley actually wasn't in the opera. Exactly. Um, which was the fact that when he did come back after living for 30, Two years. 32 years with Indigenous Australians and marrying an Indigenous woman and having a baby is that um, they, they recognised him by his um, naval tattoo. tattoo. And um, they didn't mention the tattoo in the play. There so was a was... Lot, I think they took some artistic <laughs> licence, to be honest. They and spent far too much rhyme. And you know, um, Because they have this rule now that you've got to have an equal amount of women and men in every production, mm. <laughs> there were, there were some, all the women were these sort of hearty white wenches drinking rum who'd come out, <laughs> who'd oh. come into Sullivan's Bay. It was pretty funny. It yeah, was. It was pretty funny. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't make it. Um, <laughs> Now, an election is upon us, and um, something that made me grumpy over the state election was that everybody votes early now, and we don't have that communal thing of voting on election no. day. Sausage but, sizzles. Exactly. And speaking of good or bad move, the debate that was on last night on Channel 7's second channel um, with Bill Shorten and Scott Morrison... Boy, was that underwhelming. Oh, uh, so underwhelming. It was hosted I'm by so Basil Zimplis. I thought it was a football show. And then they, and then they had the audacity to say Sh Bill Shorten was the winner. The winner of what? It mm. was really pathetic. I think 30 people voted. But, Mum, you've, been, you've worked on election days over many years, mm. handing out how-to-vote cards. <clears throat> Got, you've been all around Victoria to many far-flung places. Oh, Do you well, have just out of the suburbs, really. I was always... Um, <laughs> trying to build it up a bit. I only ever went to beyond Coburg, and I... <laughs> I did have a memory. No, it's, it's rather sad. I was a big girl in my day, but I'm not big now compared to height and of average Australian women. And I was struck 40 or even 50 years ago now by how terribly small all the then people, refugees they'd been coming from Greece and the Baltic states and Italy. The men so short, most of the men really up to a foot shorter than me. It just seemed to illustrate how lucky my generation were here. Enough to eat from day one. And will you be handing out how to vote cards? Certainly not. No. <laughs> no, I didn't think so. And um, Anna, 
You yes. have a GLT. I do, and it's cheap and easy. And it sounds a bit daggy, but it's actually really good. My GLT is about extending the life of cut flowers. You know, you get flowers, you plonk them in a vase, and then two days later they're dead, and you think, bloody hell, that's annoying. So anyway, I was reading in this great book, Corrie, I'm sure you've got it, Annabel Hickson's yes. new book, A Tree in the House, which is really fantastic about arranging flowers. And if any of my family were here, which they aren't, it would have been a lovely Mother's Day <laughs> present. But anyway, there's just three things you need to do. First of all, start with a clean vase. I have to confess, mine are completely diseased when you look inside. So give them the good clean out. That's the first thing. Then into the vase water, you add two teaspoons sugar, two teaspoons white vinegar and just a blob of bleach. Cut the flowers on an angle, get rid of the um, leaves and plonk them in. Apparently the bleach kills the bacteria and the sugar is sort of food in the water for the flowers. Don't quite know what the vinegar does, but it's part of the thing. So that's it. If only we had kept a list. Well, hopefully Miss Jane has kept a list of all our GLTs. Oh, there's remember, a book in this for us. Remember, <laughs> remember an early GLT with Jane had the white agapanthus and yeah. she set them in the, a vase with oh, cochineal yes. or red and food colouring. And they all colouring. turned red. And I got them, white they were brilliant. For Christmas. Carol, I know this is off script, but I have, a, uh, I have a GLT as well. This came through the Don't Shoot pod on Instagram. We're now over 1,000 people. If you all join today, we'll have 1,000 and... 180 or something um, and this is from Virginia um, who's uh, lay underscore lever underscore Cory the pantry moths come home with you from the supermarket I, I spent four that. months getting rid of them from my pantry last year make sure you put all flowers and sugars in the freezer as soon as you get home from the supermarket leave them there for a day or so they will make sure no eggs hatch and to uh, Tony who came into the bookshop the other day with a recipe how to get rid of your pantry weevils and she's actually spelt weevils a couple of different ways. I'm not sure of the correct spelling either. Can I just um, say, next time I'm about to go on air to do Footy Classified, can you not send me a photograph of the weevils in your... Was that your ceiling you sent me last night? It was the ceiling of the pantry. I couldn't believe was it. it. Like I'm thinking, is it a last-minute just... tip on the umpire scandal? <laughs> Is there another crisis at Melbourne? No. Corrie's um, taken a photo of it. Anyway, um, <laughs> yep. So I think that's a really good tip. Uh, thank you to Tony for dropping that into the bookshop, but also to Virginia on our um, Don't Shoot Pod uh, Instagram. Thanks. I'm going to be putting everything, as well as the dog food, because the ants have found that in the, sh- in the freezer. Oh. I don't know what goes on in your pantry. I don't have dog food. Or your ants. You've no. made your ants. We've made so many wonderful friends since we started doing this podcast. Um, Anna, thank you so much again Pleasure. for coming along. And Mum, Julia Wilson, thank you so much for coming up again. Thank you to Brett Manley. Thank you to Jane Alsop. Thank you, of course, to Lynn Swinburne. Thank you to Sally Cap, and, of course, to Sue Matthews, who has now launched the Miracle Mums campaign. And thank you to all of you. We've got old friends here. We've got new friends here. I've met so many lovely friends who continue to bail us up on the street, on the beach, at the football, in the supermarket, and say they listen to our podcast. And believe me, it just means so much. We are so appreciative, aren't we, Corrie? We are indeed. And Caro thought after she gave up the full-time job at the age, she would suffer from relevance deprivation. And now, <laughs> wherever she goes, people say, I love your GLT on how to get rid of weevils in your pantry. So, <laughs> No, what, what I really love is when footballers come up to me or football commentators and say... My wife loves your podcast. And I said, oh, it's so nice that they, you know, they did this recipe. And they go, oh, well, we put her on to the podcast. <laughs> so we've got a lot of people listening, and we really, really do appreciate it. Please continue to send us feedback, comments, tips and suggestions to the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. You can follow us on Instagram. Yes, we are building ourselves up again since Corrie lost the password. <laughs> at Don't Shoot Pod. We also tweet, not personally, but we do tweet at Don't Shoot Pod. So you can email us, you can tweet us, or send us your feedback. We'll keep you posted on our monthly challenge. Corrie with her Dandenong Steps, me with my good parenting after all these years. And Corrie, what do we say? Well, what do we say, everyone? Don't shoot the messenger!
Thank you so much. And just before you go, it's producer Jane here. Just a reminder that if you'd like to support the amazing work of the Royal Women's Hospital in delivering life-saving and life-changing care to thousands of women and newborns, you can make a donation to the Miracle Mums Appeal from anywhere in the world. Just head to their website, all the W's, thewomens.org.au. We'll be posting a bonus episode as well that includes Lord Mayor Sally Capp's lovely launch speech and also the inspiring introduction to our live podcast by Royal Women's Hospital CEO, Dr. Sue Matthews. To see photos and videos from this event, you can follow the Miracle Mums Appeal hashtag on social media. Hi, I'm Ann Summers. Hello, this is Laura Tingle. Hi, this is Leanne Moriarty. I'm Jen Harper. Hi, I'm Marcus Suzak. I'm David Maher. Join me on The Book Pod. I hope you can join Corey Perkin and I on The Book Pod. I would have been any one of the famous five. I just wanted to have those sorts of adventures because, believe me, nothing like that happened in suburban Caulfield. Always, no matter how abstract the issue, you have to find the narrative and you have to find characters and around those you build the story. You know, some authors take a decade to write a book. I would miss the meeting the readers. And I think also people often completely underestimate if something is easy to read, they think that means it's easy to write and it's absolutely not. It's such a skill. Subscribe to the book pod. Subscribe to the book pod. In your favourite podcast app. Wherever you listen to podcasts.